remember your first formal job interview? Well, I do, and it's not a great memory. I did a horrendous job of representing myself and my enthusiasm for the career or opportunity position I was applying for, and uh, that's understandable if you consider the typical job interview setup. I mean, there's a, a young, uninitiated, and excited, and nervous person being faced with this panel of influential decision makers, people who appear to have it all together and literally hold your destiny in the palm of their hands. And uh, yeah, I got the sense not only in that moment, but in my career later on as an entrepreneur, hiring people, going through that process over and over again with a greater or lesser degree of success, feeling often like it was a little bit hit and miss, that the recruitment process and specifically the interview process was really an inefficient dysfunctional part of the recruitment system. My guest on the show today felt the same thing. My guest on the show today in fact had this problem in his professional capacity and used that frustration, that bewilderment as motivation to create a business that would solve that problem. And Whamley, Whamley.io is Francois, my guest on the show today, solution to exactly this problem. It is an asynchronous or one-way video interview product that is really taking the South African market by storm. It is an innovative solution to a very old problem. <laughs> and as you know, that's the theme of the series that we're doing with the Glenn Libert here on the One-Eyed Man podcast. In case you did not know or did not remember, my name is Mike Stopforth. I'm your host. Uh, this is, I think, our seventh episode in this season. We're coming to the end of this journey. And yeah, I, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation, the first of 2022, as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I look forward to your feedback, your shares, your comments, your ratings, as always. But without any further ado, here is Francois from Whamley. So first of all, thank you so much for making time for this conversation. We threatened to do it at the end of last year, and like most things in 2021, it was chaos. So I appreciate you making time uh, first thing in 2022, and I hope for you and for others that this will be a much better year, a much more organized year. <laughs> Francois, I was doing some research leading up to the show, and I was having a look at your website, and there's a section on your website that speaks about your story, about Wamley's story, and uh, right at the end, there's a line that says, your, your frustration became your solution which I really loved as a notion that you were solving a problem for yourself that you realized was a problem for many other people and learned to scale it accordingly. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey, how you came to be an entrepreneur, and then out of that, how the idea for Wembley came to be. Hmm. So firstly, Mike, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute privilege being here. Really keen and excited to, to start the year off with such a fantastic opportunity. So I think firstly... My, my journey is, is an interesting one as an entrepreneur. I, I'm an industrial psychologist by profession. And I always tell people, for me, that was an accidental profession. Most matrix or, or young individuals you meet uh, won't tell you, I want to become an industrial psychologist. You know, most people, when you, when you talk to them, they won't even know what that is. So I started studying psychology, became an industrial psychologist. A better way maybe to describe it is an organizational psychologist. So mm. I'm a psychologist mm. working with corporates or with organizations. And um, I very quickly found myself in the world of recruitment and selection, specifically helping organizations determine who's the best candidate to appoint if you have a vacancy. 
And in that decision model, there are many variables and factors that one needs to consider. And so introducing science in that process is always better because it can be a, a very frustrating, difficult thing to do, you know, finding talent, hiring talent, making the best decision, hoping that the person you appoint will stay, that they fit to the requirements of the role as well as the culture of the organization. And so it was in that season of my career that I quickly realized one of the most frustrating, back to the website and the story, frustrating elements of that is the interview itself. So you would get a bunch of CVs. If you have a vacancy, you would look at the CVs. Most organizations, HR teams, line managers struggle to really differentiate fairly between what is a good and what is not a good CV. And then more often than not, when you actually then meet the person, they don't look like their CV. And so um, a lot of challenges in, in the interview process. And so it was there where this idea of video interview then started for me. So how to create efficiency, how to optimize that process, how often, Mike, have you uh, met someone for an interview and within the first five or 10 minutes you realized, oh my goodness, this uh, isn't you know the person that I thought I'd meet or no, they won't make it in the role, but now I have to sit through the interview. And so Whamley as a one-way video interview solution was born a couple of years ago to try and create efficiency and optimize that process of interviewing people you know, many, many hours, countless fruitless hours spent in interviews, hoping to find the best person. Okay, that's really interesting. Because I mean, as an entrepreneur, and as somebody who ran a business that was very people dependent, um, hiring, uh, and, and of course, the, the counterpoint hiring and firing are a critical part of, of the, you know, the, the time allocation of any leader or any leader of any organization of significance. And I used to find that I would rush the hiring process or almost always. And I would rush it because it was an emotionally expensive, tedious, you know, if you're doing it right, highly detailed, and I'm not a highly detailed person, process. And as you rightly said, you'd get a pile of CVs on your desk, and that was a little bit hit and miss. And then you'd, you'd have the interview. And sometimes it would, there'd be chemistry immediately, and you'd think this person would be great. And then almost inevitably, um, that wouldn't land up being the case in the long term. Uh, it's like trying to decide to marry someone based on like 10 minutes of a first date, you know? Like not a good measure. Um, yeah. So it sounds like you, you realized that there were two dysfunctions. The one was the time money commitment or the time value commitment of the interview and, um, and filtration process of finding good talent, but also the quality of the interview process, the quality of the uh, interaction and your ability to distill someone's real potential for the organization through, you know, kind of through this new, new medium. Now, talk me through what a one-way video interview actually is to the lay person. Like for somebody who's never been through the process before, what does that feel like and look like? Yeah. So I think firstly, if you consider a traditional interview, right, you would have a various elements. You would have your panel, which would consist of what we call subject matter experts, people who understand the role, people who know what they're looking for. Typically, it's your hiring manager, the person that this individual will be reporting into, mm -hmm. HR representatives, maybe a senior member of the organization that would be in the panel. Then you would have your candidates, your shortlist, the people that you're inviting to the interview. And then if you are a mature organization, you'd have some sort of structure around the questions you will be asking. Because 
Ultimately, you want to create a standardized and fair process where all of your candidates are getting similar questions that talk to the requirements of the role. Now, Mike, oh, one sure. of the biggest yeah. challenges with, with interviewing, uh, traditional interviewing, is that it's, it's so dependent on the, the emotions uh, of the panel, being in the moment, a candidate responds in one way and all of a sudden the conversation is completely diverting down a rabbit hole and you might end up asking questions or going into a conversation that does not really talk to what the job requires. So what Whamley and, and effectively video, one-way video interview is, is we, we built a solution, a software solution, it's, it's hosted in the cloud, that allows you to set up questions and then the technology facilitates the interview without you having to be present so with okay. zoom or with teams or in a traditional sense face-to-face -face, it's a two-way conversation where one-way video interview is the technology is facilitating the process and it is recording the candidates answers to the questions that you posed so within that, it creates a lot of fairness, standardization and consistency because all the candidates have got the same questions with the same time to prepare and the same time to answer. And then that is getting recorded by the technology. Hmm. And then the panel can then log in at any time from anywhere and go and review the videos. And then from there decide, who do I actually now want to see face to face? Or who will I actually reject and discard from my process? Okay, that's fascinating. And is this a completely original idea, Francois? Or was it adapted from something that exists already in the market? I mean, I, having not been in the hiring space for some time or never been a, an industrial psychologist myself, I don't fully understand where technology in the interview space is right now. But is this, did you see an opportunity to create an entirely new platform or improve on something that was already happening? Okay. So there, um, it's definitely not, you know, 100% original from a concept perspective. There are many international organizations that have been building one-way video interview solutions since, okay. you know, the early 2000s. We are, however, the, the biggest and first to market in the African continent. Okay. So I came across... So it's a local um, solution, locally developed, absolutely, locally customized, I guess, as well. 100%, 100%. So I came across the, the concept from a colleague of mine, a dear friend, and then saw an opportunity because the South African and African market, for that matter, is, is really far behind when it comes to technology and the world of selection and recruitment. So to your point, there are many systems and technology uh, solutions out there for HR but really, in the South African context, there wasn't something for video interview one way. And this happened just before the pandemic. And so back then, it really wasn't nice to have. Like the organizations that we dealt with have either never heard of it or really didn't understand it. So nice to have. Then COVID came and then all of a sudden it became a must have. Yeah, I mean, in some ways this whole shifting world of work must have been a real blessing for you. Um, I'm always cautious of saying that because the pandemic is not something to kind of make light of. And for many people, was it, was it, you know, kind of from a work perspective, a really frustrating and really kind of traumatic experience. But for you, I guess it must have been a, an accelerant, uh, a real catalyst Absolutely. for adoption. And I imagine uh, for your team, quite a wake up call in terms of scaling up and, and, and responding to the market quickly. Absolutely. I mean, what a journey, what an adventure. I, I always say in, in, in times of challenge and tribulation, there are always opportunity. Mm. And so 
you know, I'm, I'm quite passionate about the fact that in my opinion, in my professional opinion, HR departments haven't evolved as other departments and organizations over the past couple of years. So the adoption yeah, of technology, fair, yeah. reimagining how we do things, HR typically, um, you know, are quite stuck in their ways of, of doing things, even though it might be frustrating. It's the way that I know and the way I understand. And that's the way I want to do it. So something as basic as screening CVs every single day, surely there should be a better way, easier way, faster way to do this. But sure. more often than not, I run into organizations where that is still what they're doing. So for us, you know, uh, the pandemic really accelerated the need for change, the mm -hmm. need for, for teams and, and, you know, in our context, HR and recruitment departments to, to relook the way they are hiring people because all of a sudden a face-to-face -face interview is, is no more. You know, we can't do mm -hmm. this. Everybody's from home. Everything is digital. So for us, it was just a beautiful timing and we are super thankful for, for being able to be there and be ready. And you're completely right, Mike. What we provided had to meet the demand and the demand didn't, you know, grow organically. It was one day we're there and the next it's level lockdown five. Some of the industries like agriculture, um, education, uh, the, the government, they didn't stop recruiting. Mm -hmm. so, so in many industries, the recruitment really came you to a halt. You needed to respond, but, yeah. Yeah, and we needed to respond and, and thankfully we, we were ready. As a, uh, a business owner and as a, an entrepreneur of a business that used to hire regularly, I can clearly see the benefits for the employer to the system that you guys have developed. In, in what ways does it also benefit the employee? Were there unintended, or the candidate rather, were there unintended consequences or benefits that, uh, you know, kind of you didn't, you didn't think would necessarily improve the experience of the employee, but have proven to be, you know, kind of optimizing in terms of their process or their journey around uh, the recruitment uh, journey? So firstly, I think we were quite intentional in saying that there are advantages for HR, for hiring managers as well as candidates. Mm. From a candidate perspective, I think to name a couple, first is time. So, you know, to take leave in my current role, if I'm currently employed, to go to an interview, to travel. It's also a risk, to... isn't it, for that individual to, to have to Absolutely. leave and climb in Absolutely. a car and, and yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, I've, I've spoken to many candidates who, who had to, in some ways, you know, make up a story or lie or, or they didn't have the sure. confidence to actually sure. tell the current employer I'm going for an interview. So, so yeah. the time spent for the candidate, the convenience around being able to do the video interview in their own time in a space that is convenient and safe for them. Because what happens in Whamley is the candidates get an invitation mail and they then clearly see what is the end date by what is, what is the last date that I get to do this. And then they also see the time allocated, how long it will take. So for example, I get the mail today, it's Friday, it needs to be submitted by Sunday and it'll take me seven minutes. I then have the ability to pick the exact seven minutes in the environment where I'm comfortable, where I feel fresh, they don't get to see the questions beforehand, so it's completely authentic. But, you know, there's a convenience for them in that to say, well, I can decide what is the environment. I will never forget my, my very first interview was a panel of seven white men dressed in army suits. Uh, and to this day, I can't even remember that interview. That's how intimidated I was. So, you know, so that helps from, an, from a, a planning and convenience perspective. Um, and then also, you know, especially the millennials, they're super comfortable with technology. 
So uh, many candidates have told us, you know, doing a Whamley interview feels like an Instagram story. It feels like a selfie. Mm. It's compatible on over 200 devices, whether it be mobile or, or desktop. So, so, you know, those, those are some of the advantages as well. And then the intimidation factor of the panel. So I'm, I'm talking to myself. The question is on the screen. More often than not, I've seen in my career that interviews at, at times do tend to turn out into these trick question, high pressure scenarios where you're actually straying away from trying to really give the candidate the best opportunity to inform you if they've got what it takes to be successful in the role. So in Wadley, sure. the question is on the screen. They don't have to memorize it. It is what it is. I've got two or three minutes to answer that question based on my knowledge, my experience, my skills. Yeah, you make such a valid point about the, the pressure that's innate in that kind of interview, especially if you're a young person entering the workforce for the first time. This is your first exposure to that kind of questioning, that line of, and I mean, you go to a strange office, you're meeting these people that are these sort of powerful decision makers. And I mean, it's one thing if you're being interviewed for a job where you are going to be people facing and you are going to have to think on your feet and you are going to have to present or sell. But then by all means, I can understand the benefits of a high pressure interview situation and kind of mimicking the sort of role you're going to do in, in, you know, on a day to day basis. But if you're going to be more technical or more back office or more administrative, then it seems completely counterproductive to put that kind of person into that kind of interview situation. Because judging their performance in that context is going to have very little bearing on how they're going to be able to show up for the actual task uh, you're hiring them for. How has the product design evolved? What have been the most significant kind of pivots or changes in the way you've built the project? Or maybe you've kind of run into speed bumps that you didn't see being a problem initially that have forced you to kind of redesign or rethink uh, your approach to delivering it. So what have been some of the interesting challenges that you've overcome over the last couple of years? So I think firstly, let me let me start off by saying we are proudly South African and we are very proud to be proudly South African because context is extremely important. You know, understanding our landscape, our environments, our mm. bandwidth, mm. the multiple devices. Not everybody's in Santon with the latest iPhone. So, you know, from the word get-go, when we started building Wamley, we said, let's build a proudly South African product that is contextual to our environment. We understand our landscape, our unique challenges and opportunities that we sit with. And then we really had a long conversation, Mike, around, so what do we build? Because there's so much to do. I mean, if you just consider the thousands of data points we now have, you know, just into, because it's hosted in the cloud or, you know, it never goes away. We don't delete the interviews. They're all there. So for us, it was, let's look at the problem. The problem was interview as part of the selection process has got many challenges. Let's solve that first. So we didn't set out to build an applicant tracking system. We didn't set out to build a job board. We didn't set out to build an HRI, a so human resource mm, information mm, system. Mm. We wanted to solve the interview one process, well. one yeah. problem, one piece mm. in, in your decision. And so from the word get-go, that was what we built. We built a one-way video interview solution. In the beginning, obviously, it didn't work on all devices. It wasn't compatible with every browser. And so we built a, a minimum viable product. We took it to market. We, we didn't aggressively go with 
a big marketing campaign. My business partner, Marnus Broedreich, a dear friend, a, a, a f- amazing entrepreneur that I look up to, you know, to, to, between him and I, we said, let's first just go to our network. Let's mm-hmm. go to clients that we have worked with before that do trust us, where we, we can make mistakes, with, where yeah, we have an established yeah. relationship. There is trust, there is credibility. And so we, we, we launched our MVP with them. And then extremely important, Mike, is we gathered as much feedback as possible from candidates as well as from our clients. And based on that feedback, we started building Whamly, adding features up until a point now where we're really confident and proud of the product we have now. We're extremely excited about 2022. This will be the year where we now will aggressively start looking at marketing and really scaling the business. But, but yeah, the iterations has been many. Um, mm. Adding small features based on client feedback, based on candidate feedback. You know, silly things like some candidates told us they don't like the fact that when they see their own face, they get nervous. So we built a blur button to blur your face. You know, uh, or a client would say, look, it would be amazing if we can attach the CV to the candidate's video. So small elements without changing the core product um, over 2021 and really focusing on optimizing so that we can scale. So optimizing from a a volume perspective, a bandwidth perspective, understanding that, you know, if we want to go global, we're going to be sitting with thousands and thousands of interviews. You know, how do you build a, a total ecosystem that can cater for that? And so... You know, amazing in-house developers. We've got a, a, an incredible team uh, locally that that are continuously focusing on on the product. Actually, obsessed with the product. So it's actually a really great segue into the question I wanted to ask you because when you're building a technology pro- product like you know, like you did from day one, you it was always going to be a platform and it was always going to be um, something that would rely very heavily on on software engineering to come to life. Talk me through your thinking around. Obviously, any time an entrepreneur is faced with that uh, that challenge, you've got decisions around whether you're going to localize your development or offshore it or do a combination of both or build your own shop or hire a, a shop to do it for you. How did you decide how to build a software development uh, capability and what were some of the, the pros and cons that you had to consider as you, you know, sort of mm-hmm. weighed up outsourcing versus insourcing? Yeah, I think that from the very beginning, you know, Marnus and I said, irrespective of our reputation, irrespective of our past, irrespective of the vision we have or, you know, the skills that we that we both feel that we can bring to the table, none of that will matter if we don't have a, a solid technology product. So mm. from the word get-go, the dev team was was the number one priority for us. And um, we did have a conversation around in-source, outsource, and uh, you know, going local, going international. I remember three three years ago when I when I when I just started because Manus joined later. I, I did have an offshore dev team, and and there were many challenges with that. I mentioned the word earlier around being contextual, availability, being on the ground, having skin in the game, being involved in the process, regular feedback, priority, focus. All of those elements we had to consider and and that led us to decide let's build an in-house local dev team so the dev team now is is you know it's it's a big team and they're continuously evolving and growing as well we're very proud about their story because it is a, it is a proudly south african story as well where it's a young team that are that have mentors so it's a beautiful blend between more experience but then also young energetic individuals 
who want to solve problems. So many of our developers didn't go the, the typical tertiary education route. You know, young, passionate guys who, who you give a problem and they will sit through the night to figure it out, tirelessly work um, at, at solving the problem. So the tech that, we, that we're currently using in Wamley is, is world-class. And for us, it's, it's all around creating buy-in for them as well. So, you know, when we start talking about company culture and the vision and the future and where we want to go, we want to include the devs in that and not see them as, you know, an outsourced a, a team that's, you know, sitting in a corner just doing what, what that we're asking. So, so they're heavily involved in the stand-up meetings and, 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 and also the development roadmap of Whammy. I suppose the other flip side of that is that you're also eating your own cooking, right? If you're using Whamly to solve the problem, which is a problem, I think, for many businesses that are trying to hire highly skilled staff in a, you know, kind of a, um, it's a, it's a very difficult market at the moment because we know that a lot of those highly skilled people are being snatched up by corporates who are paying exorbitant fees for them or whatever it might be. And, and so if you're able to use your own product to solve that, that problem or, or to overcome that challenge for yourself, surely that must translate to a better solution for your clients in the long run, uh, as well. You spoke about 2022 being the year of marketing, the year of ramping up, um, Whamley beyond uh, the significance of your existing networks and the word of mouth that you've benefited from uh, already. What is going to be your biggest challenge as you, as you face marketing the platform to a broader audience? You know, what are the things that are keeping you up at night at the moment? So I think firstly, I want to be professionally arrogant in saying being one of the South African market leaders, you know, does put you in the spotlight. And so it would be naive for us to think that no one is going to follow, no one is going to build something similar, no one is going to try and, you know, because it just makes sense, especially in the time we're in now, most organizations who were resistant to technology or change, specifically in the HR departments, were forced to, through the pandemic, to now adopt technology. So more than ever now is the right time to, to digitize and introduce technology. And so clearly the opportunity is there. So for us... Yeah. It's, it's understanding that the, the competition will grow. Other HR technology companies who, who've built HR tech in other application areas might, you know, go and say, oh, well, let's just add the video component. It makes sense. So if I'm a job board, let's add video. Or if I'm a psychometric house, let's add video. Or if I'm a CV writer, let's add video. So, so for us, we are creating awareness and doing a lot of education, making noise. And so clearly that message will, you know, reach other, other organizations who, who might want to now try and do the same. I think that's the one thing. The other thing is remaining true to what we, what we set out to build. Because as we grow and as the clients, uh, you know, give us more and more feedback, we need to be very clear around what are we continuing building? What is, what is going to continue adding value? We know that the adoption of technology is, 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 there's a lot of resistance in the beginning, but the moment, you know, there's a, there's a time where it flips and, and all of a sudden people are chasing, you know, I mean, I'll run into a client in the moment. I, I might bring up a competitor who's already using Wambly. The eagerness to, to jump in and do it is, is just amplified. So, so for us to remain relevant, uh, to still continue to add value is something that we're very conscious about. And then also, you know, how do we how do we expand into Africa and internationally? Because there are international competitors out there. So what makes us unique? Um, why why Whamley? Um, those those are definitely things that that that's keeping me awake. 
All right, a quick break and play. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope you're enjoying our Glenlivet Original Bike Tradition series. A wise man once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. For me, this is what being the original is really all about. It's a mindset. It's forward looking. It's progressive. It's about not backing down to conformity or accepting mediocrity. It's about questioning norms, breaking assumptions. It's in the way that we combine resources creatively and use our talents in ways other people hadn't imagined. Ultimately, originality is really about people who are determined to do things on their own terms, redefining the way that we think about things like culture and success and achievement in the process. Originality is all about how we draw on our roots and show up winning again and again and again. A big thank you again from me to the team at Glenlivet for making these conversations possible. If you're enjoying the show as much as I'm enjoying recording it, please don't hesitate to share it with your network. And now, back to the podcast. You spoke about Manus as a, as a business partner. Um, I've known Manus for years as well. I was privileged to speak at some of his events and also to feature on his podcast. And just a real real doyen and a real motivator in the entrepreneurship space in South Africa. Someone who I've also you know, valued his feedback and valued his input into projects on my side as well. Um, talk to me about, you know, was the journey, were you always intending to partner with somebody like Manus? Were you looking for investors and his partnership made sense to you? What, what, how did that relationship evolve and what role does he play in the business today? Mm. Yeah, um, so firstly, I think, for any entrepreneur or, or business owner or aspiring business owner listening to this, you know, one, one of the things that I really want to offer as a gift is to is to gain some self-insight, to really understand yourself and know your strengths and your weaknesses. And so, Mike, I always knew that I, I needed a CEO. There are many things that I that I back myself that I'm good at, but but having a brain and a, and a visionary like Madness on board is something that I always knew, you know, that, that I needed. And so um, when the opportunity presented itself, it was just such a blessing for me to to be able to partner with him uh, and and learn from him. He's he's just such a unique individual, and there's a reason why he's been so successful. And just having him full time in Wamley, understanding his mind, his vision, where he wants to go, how he thinks, we just complement each other so so beautifully, and and the rest of the Exco team for that matter. So it 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 always was the plan, um, not necessarily the video interview. You know, I back then was building a consulting firm, and the video interview was one of the products. Okay. The Bean Counter, Madness's previous business, was a client of mine. Okay. I used the okay. I used the tool to help him hire accountants. He saw the tool. He then approached me and said, "Fran, this is incredible. This helped me so much. I want to be involved." And so I didn't actively headhunt him or or go and try and convince him. It just organically, beautifully happened which I'm very thankful for. Uh, that's an interesting point you make around you were building a services business and that evolved into a technology offering. Now, that's a, that's a significant change, right? Um, yeah. I'm also somebody who's far more comfortable building services than building products. And I've spoken often on this podcast around the challenge of trying to find, I, I don't think you can do both at the same time, or I think it's really yeah. tough to do both at the same time. So what convinced you to go the, the product route as opposed to continuing to expand on the, the services side of things? Mm. I think, so firstly, I want to agree with you. I don't think you can do both. 
I think if you if your core focus is services, you can have technology and products that enable and facilitate your business mm-hmm. and, and your process and how you deliver. Um, at, at that time, I was selling my time, you know, as an industrial psychologist, you know, we, we can sell hours, days consulting. But I've always been very fond of technology, optimizing, creating efficiency in, in the way that I delivered my services. And so I, I'll, I'll never forget Madness and I had a conversation the one day and, you know, he was very curious about my business as well. And I told him briefly about the products and, and the technology. And he, and he, and he, he, told, he, said, he said this one line, he said, Fran, you can never side hustle a tech product. Um, you're yeah, either in... Fun. <laughs> yeah. Or 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 you're you're you you know you out. If you want to use technology, outsource it. Find someone whose core focus is on that product. Bring that yes. into your services yes. business, and you'll know that it 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 will remain reli- you know re- yeah. reliable, up to date. Yeah. So so you know back then I enjoyed selling my time. I enjoyed the services part, but I I always understood that it's very difficult to scale. And, you know, you only have so many hours in the day and it's so heavily reliant on your name, your reputation. Mm. Clients want you. They don't even necessarily care about the logo. And so for me, it was around, I want to scale. I want to build a big team. I want something that can generate annuity income while we are working on the business and not in the business. Mm. Mm. And so I, I, for me, it was, it, it, it was uh, looking back now, the best decision ever certainly seems that way from this side and i i couldn't agree more you it's not something you can half be or half do uh it's something you got to commit to completely and and i think his wisdom and experience in that regard must have been invaluable right like somebody who's come from building yeah. multiple products that have yeah. have scaled and have developed that kind of reputation is is uh, significant it, on the topic of reputation that your brand is an interesting one i see you wearing the wearing the colors there um and uh whamley is is a name that is easy to remember it sticks talk me through the process of developing a brand uh, and an identity around that uh, is that something that you really struggled with or did it come to you very naturally? So I think our, our brand journey has been twofold. In the very beginning, Mike, uh, as you know, you, you're bootstrapping, you're hustling, it's a startup. There's not a lot of time. Um, mm. The pandemic accelerated the need for this. So we had to, in the beginning, make a decision, you know, what are we going to focus on first? And for us, it was the MVP. Let's get the product going. Uh, between Madness and myself, we are quite quirky. We, we like being out of the box. So Whamley, uh, we help you create a work family. So that's where the word Whamley comes from. We help clients create a work family. We wanted to be quirky. We wanted it to stick. Um, we partnered with a, a phenomenal company in, in Cape Town who helped us with the initial brand. But it, it, it wasn't a deep focus for us. So we didn't start top down. These are our values. This is our mission. This is our vision. We, we knew what we wanted to build and we knew that there will be a time where, where we now want to then focus on the brand. And that's when at the end of last year, we brought in a phenomenal individual, Shannon, to, to head up our, our brand, uh, actually our customer experience, our entire customer journey, our client journey, our customer journey, the candidate's journey. And so Shan is, is working um, really hard around embedding what Whamley looks like, what it feels like, what the candidate experience, what the client's experience and for us, it's all around the behavior. And there's a bit of psychology, of course, behind that. Yeah. And so with that, you know, m- me being a psychologist, it helps. But, but for us, it's all around the experience. What does it feel like? What does it taste like? 
from when you're in the app to the customer service, the experience, the support, the product, the release, the webinars, the content we release, our website. And, and for us, that'll be a dynamic journey that we continuously will grow and evolve. We like to, to be agile. I know it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. For us, it's not just around, let's be agile. What does that look like for us? So we want to be able to make quick decisions, respond to customer feedback if it makes sense. We've had many iterations on the websites. The app, the, the UI, the UX has changed a lot based on feedback and where we want to go. And I think we'll solidify that in 2022. Yeah, it's interesting because the development of a brand, and especially for a tech product like, like yours, can be something that you can get really stuck in initially up front. It can be one of the excuses we make for not progressing, right? It's got to be right. It's got to be perfect. It's got to uh, uh, be exactly what we uh, want to be. And it's got to represent the, like you said, you know, stop starting top down with values and stuff. And I think you can get, re- you can get into a sort of analysis paralysis around that brand being absolutely uh, ideal. And the truth mm-hmm. is that yeah, there's ample evidence to support that a brand is kind of whatever we make it, right? Like it, it could be anything. Um, it's the uh, effectiveness of building uh, emotional connection, stories, anecdotes, experiences around that logo and identity that's far more significant than, you know, and it, you can get lucky and right up front have the absolute perfect logo and name and whatever that does represent exactly what it is that you're doing. But I don't think that that's as much of a necessity as certainly as, as people who are brand advocates like myself might try and convince people that it is. Uh, and I, I think yours is a great example that Wembley could be anything. Uh, it could move in any direction. It could evolve uh, dramatically from where it is today and not lose any of its essence, not lose any of its idea. You're not going to feel like you suddenly have to rename the thing to suit a new uh, direction, as it were. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Francois, you know, we've spoken about how, how big a deal marketing is for you this year. What are some of the other challenges you think that the team will face? And, and what are you, have you kind of sat and said, these are my priorities for the year and this is how I make sure that 2022 is our best year yet? What are mm. you most excited about for the year to come? So I think firstly, the last 18 months, we, we really spent a lot of energy in educating the market around what is asynchronous or one-way video interview. Where does it fit into your process? What are the benefits of it? Listening to some of the, um, the ob- uh, objections of clients around why they you know, might not want to consider it. Then again, building content uh, and reimagining our app in line with those objections. So for us, we are extremely excited about the fact that this is going to be a year of a lot of momentum. Uh, A lot of groundwork has been done. Uh, The clients are, we've had such phenomenal support from local big multinationals in South Africa. And and slowly but surely, we are running into individuals that that they tell us about Wamley. And and it's not so much us having to really, you know, go, go. Hard sell it, yeah. Hard sell it. So, so, you know, the sale itself, I mean, I'm, I head up sales at Whamley. The sale itself is an interesting conversation because it's not something that most organizations already understand they need. Mm, if, if, mm, if you're mm. in a pickle and, and you need to hire someone, you could potentially maybe end up with the wrong decision, but you could go with the traditional get 10 CVs from Peanuts or whatever job board and pick three, interview the three, and pick the person you like the most. You know, you can solve your hiring problem with that way. So for us, the education and the hard work we did last year, we we definitely hope to see the fruit of that this year. 
And then uh, the from a marketing perspective, the expansion of campaigns, the brand, the awareness. We're looking at launching a, an amazing, having a great conference this year, really expanding on the brand, um, getting it out there, partnering with some amazing strategic partners in the HR environment, some of other technology firms who decided, look, we're not gonna we're not gonna rebuild uh, something like Whamley. We'd rather integrate. So there are some strategic partnerships that we're excited about. Great. And then, as you mentioned, the possibilities of where we can go. I mean, let's not forget we're in the world of Web3, blockchain, crypto, uh, decentralization of so many institutions. It, it would be naive to imagine recruitment and HR in its whole will not be affected by that. And we want to sure. actually be pioneering that as well. So there's a visionary aspect around that. And thank goodness, Whamley, and you know, giving you a good hiring experience doesn't tie us down to just one single thing. That's incredible. So, Francois, um, first of all, I want to encourage you. I think even if the pandemic has worked in your favor, technically as a business, and moved more uh, customers towards thinking digitally about the solutions and the problems that they're trying to solve, running a business in this time has not been easy. And anybody who has done so and has built an organization and built one of significance is a hero to me. So well done. That's uh, you should okay. pat yourself on the back and uh, I wish you the very okay. best for 2022 uh, and, and the years ahead. I want to finish with two questions that I've asked every guest in this uh, series so far. And the first one, I see you've got your bookshelf behind you, is um, if you could insist that one book be introduced into the schooling system as compulsory reading for any young South African, uh, what book would it be? And then the second question is if you could go back in time to your 18-year-old self, uh, what one sentence of advice, if any, would you give 18-year-old Francois? So yeah, what book would you introduce into the uh, schooling system as compulsory reading? And what, what one line of advice would you give 18-year-old Francois? Sure. Phenomenal two questions. I'm glad this isn't a live session. <laughs> <laughs> In our context, I think it would be uh, silly of me not to go immediately to the idea of hope. How do we instill hope? In our country, how do we continue to foster hope? How do we encourage young individuals not to immigrate, but to stay in South Africa and to contribute and to make this a, a better environment from an economic perspective, from a social perspective, all the aspects. So two books, I think on a personal level, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. So um, phenomenal book that changed my life. Mm -hmm. From a business perspective, we at Whamley, we set out to read two books principles from Ray Dalio and measure yeah. what matters. So Great. those two books really, really changed my, my entire way of looking at business understanding, because as you mentioned earlier, you can get stuck in these, you know, nice to haves like the brand or the logo or everything must be perfect or mm -hmm. um, we, we generating sales, but why aren't we making money? So, so understanding how to measure was amazing for me. So measure what matters. OKRs, the principles of objectives and key results. Love that as well as Ray Dahlia's principles. We we have a brutal, brutal, honest approach in Wamley where we, we don't beat around the bush. We have a, a very honest um, approach to how we go about doing our business and, and that stems directly from Ray Dahlia. What can I tell 18-year-old Francois? I think it's okay not to know what you want to do with your career. So often, young individuals are pressured or forced to be able to answer the question, what are you going to do one day when you're 15 years old? Because the schooling system asks you to pick subjects, and then all of a sudden they matriculate, yeah. you need to decide what to go and study. 
if studying from a conditioning perspective is still the way we think we should go. So I would tell my 18-year-old to relax, to be more curious, to ask more questions, to challenge the conditioning that we grow up with, especially in the South African context, and then to explore. Francois, that's a great soundbite to end on. Thanks for making time for us this morning. I know this is going to be a great show and it's going to be well-received like the others. And I look forward to following your progress over the next few months. It's going to be exciting to see what you create. Mike, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the session. And again, thanks for having me. Only a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.